we built a new one just down the road in one of the towns in the southwest part of our state. The old hospital needs to be demolished, and there's several different buildings. And the state has a plan to demolish these buildings virtually one at a time. Uh, there was an opportunity for the local government to uh, rejuvenate these buildings and make use of them, but the cost was too high, so this is not the only option, is to demolish the buildings. So this amendment says that uh, we're going to fund that demolish, demolishing as we go, one year at a time. Uh, in the budget this last year, we, uh, we put a lot of money into the account to demolish it, basically to fund it till the end of the demolishing, plus some. There's a lot, a lot of money in this account right now. This amendment takes the money out of that account and moves it to a very interesting place. And this has to do with the discussion that we had two days ago about savings and about creating an opportunity for our savings to create a better return. This moves uh, the money out of that account for the demolishment of those buildings into the school savings account, the one that should gain the highest return on that side of our funding. Unfortunately, because of the way our funding is on the state, uh, on the school side, we have never been able to get this fund large enough to get a good return. And by a good return, I mean the kind of return that we get over in our current federal trust fund. So this is an opportunity, it's not a huge amount of money, I think we've got uh, $39 million, almost $40 million. But it is moving money out of a place where we can make no interest on it. We will be able to fund each year the appropriation necessary to demolish the, the next building in the old state mental hospital. But we can fund our schools much better and with a, a much more secure method if we can get our permanent land trust fund in schools built up higher. And I'll be bringing another amendment, well, someone will be bringing another amendment later to try to put additional money into that school savings account. So this is a small one uh, just to start that and create a uh, conversation about where's, where's the best place to put our money. With that, I ask for your favorable uh, consideration and I stand for questions. So one thing I am going to do is I'm going to have uh, people that speak stand behind the podium. So Representative Heiner, can you hear me okay? So I, I think that there's some misunderstanding on what this uh, demolition account does, how the money gets to it, and the monies that, and what we're trying to do with the money. So, we, a little background, so we built a state hospital, a new state hospital, the question is, what do we do with the old buildings that, that are vacated, some of them in really bad disrepair. We, we've got some demolition work we need to do. The estimate is probably around 25 to $30 million over the course of the year. The facility belongs to the Department of Health. And so as we contemplated how we ought to approach the demolition of these facilities, rather than leave them to rot and become a public nuisance, similar to what we see in Rawlins with the North facility, we're trying to have a strategic approach 
get this cleaned up and not have it be an eyesore to the city of Evanston and a burden to the state as well as a liability. So this account, this 39 million, does not have a penny in it. It's just the creation of an account that will allow up to $39 million in reversions to be placed into it. Yeah, but there's $24 million in reversions. That's right. You'll recall from the podium and last year we talked about that with, with the enhanced Medicaid rates, that that enhanced rate was, was taking federal dollars that was going to free up general fund dollars. And then we, re then we funded a number of reversions, a number of programs in our 2022 budget bill that said the Department of Health could fund all of these up to using up to $80 million in reversions to, to fund them. Of that $80 million, there's $24 million left, and, we've got to, and we will get to the end of the year. How much will be re reverted? into that account? We don't know. We just created the account so that those can be pocketed there if they are. And then in the CAPCON uh, bill, we're saying up to 15 million of that, if there was 20, only 15 million of that could be used for the first phase of starting that demolition process. So I would uh, encourage a no vote. I think that the intent is, is novel, but we don't know how much reversions are going to be there. So if you take that money now and put it over into the school account, so you're taking from the general account, the general fund, but over the school, just creates a, a, a little difficulty. I think, the, I think the focus, too, is, is we still have got to consider how we take care of this demolition process and so I'd encourage you to no vote on this on this amendment. Anybody else for their first time? Representative Warnock for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, so I just want to uh, say something about construction here. If you remember, so so according to this, it seems like we're creating an account so that we can put millions of dollars into it. If you remember the old hotel here in town that most legislators used to stay at, um, it wasn't named the pitching post, but somebody took the H off of the sign and it became that. It burned down, and uh, they have since demoed that entire thing. The price tag for that was under $2 million, and that was a giant demolition project. I've done demolition projects on the University of Wyoming campus. I've done demolition projects here in this city. Um, demolition. I don't know what the, how big the state hospital is, but I can guarantee you that we can get this demolition done for the $15 million that we're talking about in this amendment. So I, I think uh, we'll go far under that budget 
with demolition. So just to let you know, the amount of money that, that we have appropriated for this demolition project, I think far exceeds anything we will need for the demolition of that project. Uh, demolition, usually what happens with demolition contractors is they're allowed to take the material that they demolish and recycle it. So they're actually getting payback for what they demolish. Uh, electrical, uh, plumbing, all those kind of things. So I highly doubt that we will need even as much as uh, the $15 million in this amendment for the demolition of that, uh, of that facility. So I would urge an I vote on this. It's a great way to save money. Thank you. Representative Walters for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm going to speak to the investment side of this. Uh, well, it's an intriguing idea to move the general funds over to the school side. The funds go into the permanent fund in this amendment. And by putting them in the permanent fund, that fund is still invested for an income basis needs because it needs cash. And it needs cash on a regular basis. And so how do they do that? They buy bonds, low, low interest yielding bonds. So they can cash out, get the income back, and be able to spend it as, the, as it needs. If you really wanted to increase the amount of, of generated revenue for this account, these funds should have gone into the reserve account. So that that way we can have a reserve account that will work to manage our cash flow needs. And the corpus can then be used to generate a larger rate of return overall, which will then kick off into the reserve account, cash flow, and it works very well. But when you go into the corpus, all you've done is grow the corpus. You haven't really changed the needs of the, or the, the cash flow needs to come about the case flow location. So for that reason alone, I don't think we're really doing a great job saving our money because the cost of this demolition will continue to go up year after year. The sooner we can get it cleaned up and off our books, the better we'll be. And the beauty of the, of the action that's in the budget already is we do it with previously appropriated dollars because that, it's coming from the years. So it works well, we get the project done sooner, get it done cheaper, and so I honor against the amendment. Thank you. Representative Robin, for your first time. Okay, I am on and for the amendment. One of the things that I've noticed with this project, while it is a, a wonderful project, is working <coughs> out the uh, Evanston facility. Nevertheless, this has become a revolving account. Money is consistently put in it. The project was opened a few years ago. Because of different situations, it has gone on and on and on. So putting a limited amount on there until the next budget system seems like a very good idea. So on and forth. Representative O'Hearn for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I was a certified XRF um, inspector in the state of Wyoming, which uh, tests lead-based paint and also asbestos. At your time, you have asbestos and lead-based paint in the building, it triples the cost of de demolition. And I've done a lot of demolition here in the state, especially in the center part of the state. Keep that in mind. Very expensive to get rid of asbestos and lead-based paint. Anybody else for the first time? Representative Nicholas. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this entails 24 buildings. The, uh, some, one of the buildings is larger than this capital. But what's important to, to understand is 
that there is no money in this account right now. There's zero. So with some money will come flowing in at the end of the line. We estimate around 12 to 15 million coming in at the end of the of the biennium. That's the cost of the first phase of demolition. We only used the 39 because we didn't want that fund to be too big. And then we had a professional who was currently looking at the exact demolition cost. And this will go out to bid. So our good representatives from here from Cheyenne wants to bid on it. Please move. Uh, but they are asking. They do have asbestos, they do have lead paint. Um, um, several of them have extensive black mold. Some of them are four-story, five-story buildings, and then um, are all heavy concrete, all have full foundations that have to We're just using the numbers that um, construction management gave us to, to, to use these numbers. We want to do as economic as cheaply as possible. Um, this, that number comes from the, the most So that 39 million really um, does not signify anything um, that, that's, that other than a placeholder. Um, so on and against the number. Question. Anybody else for the first time? Representative Harrelson for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So one thing that we have to understand as we look at this is, again, we're on a supplemental budget. So that our, our chief executive, as well as this body, during the actual budget session, uh, chose to move forward without this in, in, in the budget. One thing you have to understand is, at that point, there wasn't the sky is falling. And I understand we want to put money in, we want to take care of our issues. I am not at all opposed to that. But I think one thing we have to ask ourselves is, are, are we, is this truly a need, or is it just a situation where it's like, we're flush and, and we're, we're jumping in? And I, I don't ever want to get that mentality because one of the issues we have, and this is something I found interesting a couple uh, speakers back, a couple representatives back, where they said, you know, this is going into permanent education funds. You know, we have, we have an education funding crisis that's going on in this state, but yet we're afraid, it seems in some ways, to go into permanent funds. The permanent funds will pay out for generations to come. We have potential cliffs. We're, we're at a point where we have to start asking those questions. And again, I go back, not to sound like a broken record, but is it a policy issue that we have to start asking questions about? And how are we wanting to move forward? Because the bus is coming, you guys. Uh, I'm not that old, but I've seen it many times in my lifetime that boom, the bus. Boom, the bus. You guys were booming. The bus is coming. Representative Locke for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And really, I, I just want to ask a question on the, the budget folks. If we're waiting until the end of the biennium to put money in there, is this the right time to have this conversation and to actually do this? Or in fairness, should this be debated more uh, robustly at the budget session? Representative Davis for your first time. Mr. Chairman, I, I'm confused that if there's no money in the account, why are you holding a spot in the budget? Okay. If, if I had a bank account, and I had a spot in my bank account, and I have no funds to fill that spot. That, that part is where I'm confused how there's 
Thank you. Anybody else for the first time? Second time. Representative Larson.
Representative Baird. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So I'm going to try to give an illustration to help you all because it, there's been a, a little bit of muddying of the waters here. So some people use a credit card to pay for bills because they get miles. But it's a different account. And it's basically a flow through. And they actually take their money from their source of income, put it in a checking account. And when the bill comes due on the credit card, they pay it. That's what we're talking about. We have an account over here where we know we're going to have potential cost, uh, whether it's this body or the one across the hall. They put a certain number on that that they know they want to have in that account. Okay? And basically, when the expenses are taken care of, uh, whatever's left over, they will not have in their credit card account. They don't want to have to pay interest, so uh, they will get that back into the checking account and not leave that, that bill sitting out there. So that's what we're talking about, just money moving from different places and having placeholders as to how much we expect to spend. In this case, we, we've got a placeholder and it's holding on to money that's in our checking account. We don't want to spend that before we pay that credit card bill. And so we're saying we're going we're gonna to take care of this expenditure for the next several years, what we expect it might be. Now we have a capital construction account and a bill that we do uh, approve out of this body on a regular basis to take care of those annual expenses. And this would certainly be a high priority, right? I mean, we're already starting the project. We want to keep funding it as we go. So I expect that to continue happening. But here we have set aside in advance that we're, we're not using. We're not going to use it for the next couple of years, more than likely. I'm suggesting that we take that money and we put it into our savings account. Now, there was a conversation about the savings account, and I do agree with the appropriators that uh, the reserve accounts right now are probably a more likely place to get a higher rate of return. But if any of you were down in the, uh, the other building at the beginning of session, uh, we had a presentation by the people who invest our money. And they said very clearly that they want to build two reserve accounts. One for the school side, one for the uh, regular business of government side. They wanted to have two savings accounts, permanent savings accounts. That's where the big money can be had because the flow out of those accounts, the amount of money in there, will not be so rapid that you can put a, an investment in for eight to ten years. The appropriator was, was spoke from here was absolutely correct that if we don't have enough money in there, it's basically a checking account. You might get a little bit of interest on it, on what little money is in there at any given time. But the honest answer is we've got to build our savings account up. This is an opportunity to build our savings account. It's a small amount, but I'd suggest we put the small amount in here. You're going to get an opportunity later today to put a larger amount into that savings account. And back to that meeting that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, right at the beginning of the session, you know, the, the people who invest our money said, said very clearly that over the last five years, five years, we've lost, I believe it was $300 million in opportunity. Had the money on the school side been invested like it had been on the other side? Generally speaking, I'd like to make sure that it's invested well. We don't lose that $300 million over five years. So. Every chance I'm going to get, I'm going to try to put money into that school savings account. 
there's not enough in there, and the appropriators are right, it's flowing out of there very rapidly. And those investors have told us, because it's going out of there so quickly, they cannot invest it on a long-term investment. They can't get that rate of return up to that 8 to 10% we see over a 5 to 10 year period over on the permanent mineral trust fund side. So just want to encourage this body, every chance we get, understanding that 30% of our income right now is coming from investments. And for my part of the state, we've produced a lot of the income for the state, a large portion of it. And right now, the extractive industry is about 50% of our revenue. If we continue to lose the battle with the administration of this country on that industry, the pressure on the top of Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Anyway, the, the bottom line is we need to have a higher rate of return on our investments to cover what we might be losing elsewhere in our revenue streams. We're always looking for new revenue streams. This is one we already have. If we just make wise decisions, folks, we can produce that revenue and it will help our children and our grandchildren. <coughs> With that, I ask for your eye vote on this one small opportunity for a little bit of savings for education. Question. All those in favor of third reading amendment number 22 to High School 1 signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? No. Third reading amendment number 22 to House Bill 1 is failed. Third reading amendment number 23, Representative Baird. Just asking that we 
Do not put the money in that, because the federal government has already made us take care of these folks that are on this program. With that, I ask for your favorable consideration. Representative Larson, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm the first. When I was put on the Labor and Health Committee, I couldn't spell Medicaid. And I, and I, that's very, and, and, and my first three or four weeks on that committee, I, I just knew that they was talking some foreign language that I just could not understand. And it takes a long time and a lot of work to really understand all of the moving pieces within the Department of Health. And so the presenter of this amendment talks about waiver, waivers and, and that with the federal pandemic requirements, but people weren't able to come off the waiver. That's not quite how that works. So CMS, the Center for Medicaid Services, the federal government says, anybody, if we are going to give you an enhanced rate, we talked about that the state gets a one-to-one -one match, so it's 50-50. We're going to give you an enhanced rate of 6.5%. So anybody you currently have receiving services on Medicaid, even, for example, there's a, there's a bill out there on postpartum. Postpartum was at, traditionally at 60 days. They said, with this enhancement, programs like that, you can't release, can't remove off from Medicaid services until like 30 days after this program, the, the, the public health, whatever we want to call it, is done, which is going to be in April. And then you have to notify them. So this isn't anything to do with the waiver. And this enhanced amount, bear in mind, so instead of 50-50, now we're only having to pay 44% on the state side. But we had appropriated the full 50% in general funds. So that extra 6.5 that we save gets just accumulates in the Department of Health and gets reverted back to the general fund at the end of the year. That's what I call when I say a reversion. That's how that happens. Okay? So that money that they're saving. This program, this, the, the, the DD waiver program is for people who have intellectual, developmental, or disabilities or brain injuries. And to get on that program, they have to have an evaluation of the type of the psychological evaluation. And then they're put onto this waiver, meaning rather than be in an institution, they can be in a community setting. And then we fund for those services, rehabilitative services, speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, those types of things. And we have them living in, in settings in, in each of your communities. There are people, there are children or adults that qualify to receive those services, but because of our funding, we, we, we fund those people to be on those waivers. 
It's a finite amount, and so you get a wait list. People that are, are eligible for them, but because of lack of funding, they can't receive those services. So periodically, we fund to bring more people off the wait list to get these services. So earlier today, we talked about enhancing some of these, this, this, this same group of people. We talked about enhancing that because they, they were vulnerable and we really needed to fund them. This amendment says no, we don't. And so what this, this appropriation does is reducing that 547 people who are not getting any Medicaid, any state, any aid whatsoever, and making them eligible for either the support waiver or the comprehensive waiver. And so we're reducing that wait list by half. And by half, these people have been on the wait list for at least 18 months, and some of them for as long as five years, which is the last time we reduced the wait list. So I don't think that this is, I, and, and I, again, I get that it, it gets a little confusing, but I don't think the, the waiver or the people that the sponsor assumes are still on this wait list is an accurate understanding of how this whole process works. And so I encourage a no vote. We've got folks that have been waiting to come off this wait list and we need to know them. Anybody else for the first time? Representative Hornock for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, question uh, I'd like to ask with this, and I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm correct in this, but the Department of Health in their supplemental budget <coughs> to our executive chief executive was only asking for about 2.7 some million dollars to fund this. We have upped it to $7.5 million. Uh, so, you know, the Department of Health, in order to fund these programs, specifically asked for a certain number that's well below half of this. I'm curious, you know, why we increase that so much. Representative Yen. Nope. Anybody else for the first time? Over here. Representative Penn for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So this feels, um, this, uh, this topic is very similar to a bill that we've discussed in committee um, earlier, House Bill 4, um, which seems a little- Stick to this amendment. It seems a little yeah. questionable to be funding this in the supplemental budget when um, we have yet to debate it. There's um, inference that people who don't currently have insurance, therefore have no access to health care. Working at a clinic myself, I know that there are ways that people without insurance are able to access health care and still have um, and still have um, access payment plans and things like that. Anybody else for their first time represented again for your first time? So thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just to reiterate, the population that is affected by this, this waiver program that the amendment removes is the, the population of folks that have developmental disabilities, traumatic brain injuries, um, and uh, basically can't really function for themselves generally. 
And so they applied for this program, we put them on a wait list, and then basically wait five years for someone to help them become more independent. Uh, this has nothing to do with anything, frankly, that we have on the docket right now. Um, it has to do with getting people on a program that they're not able to access right now, they are not on Medicaid, um, and this helps people become more independent. So I would ask you to vote on Representative Locke for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And really, this is more of a question to the chairman who's describing this as a difficult and complex issue because I admit I'm working. Um, so is it accurate that this is this 7.5, I believe, is being requested? Is that part of the additional 37.9? I think that number right is being added to the general fund. Is that accurate? Anybody else for their first time? Representative Nicholas, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, to answer that question, yes. Let um, me go back. Uh, so, what's interesting about how these supplemental budgets work? Um, right now, the agency is beginning to prepare their budget for next year because it has to go to the governor's office for review. They have to have it there by summer, and then when they go through that process. Develop it in October. The governor's office gets up, gets his, comes back for his budgets. But we're going to be debating on this floor for next year. So our chief executive has had, had, has had a, a specific policy for his agencies: stay within the exact same budget, no no cost increases. And that, and he did it because of what we've been talking about on this floor for, and that is, last April we had we still had a. Now we have a $1.7 billion surplus. So the first question is then, let's go back and look at the, what we cut in the past in the health for those who are most needy in our community, the ones that need our help more than anybody else, and reevaluate and see if we can use some of this um, excess dollars to take care of those folks. And that's what this does. So on and bit against the amount. Anybody else for the first time? Representative Skybar for your first time. Work for a second. Anybody else for the first time? Second time. Representative Larson for your second time. So to answer the question back here, no, this was part of the supplemental budget that come out of JAC. Not part of the 37 point whatever that we added in section reading. Okay? Uh, it has so it was not hard. The Department of Health did not make a request on this uh, unit in the supplemental budget. So I'm not quite sure where the 2.1 comes from. I'd like to look at the, that request. I think it's a better answer. I'll wait to find my budget that's upstairs. So I apologize for that. Every, every year in the Department of Health's budget, we look at all of these established programs that we fund and allow the citizens of the state to participate in. You know, who's get, who goes and sees a dentist and gets covered under chips? That, that changes all, that changes. So does this, but we have to fund this. This is not... This is not a group that the federal government has required us to keep on Medicaid 
through the pandemic. These people are waiting to get on a program that's, that's provided to citizens of the state with intellectual, developmental disabilities and acquired brain injuries. Anybody else for their second time for the sponsor? Representative Locke for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So just just additional clarification from the uh, chairman of the appropriations. So you, you talked about the fact that the governor had not made a request. Where is this in relationship to that? Is that is this in addition to that to that request or did I misunderstand your statement? Anybody else for their second time before the sponsor? Representative Steinbar? Honored against this amendment, we need to take care of our most vulnerable population. And this is a step in the right direction to do that. So on against it. Anybody else for their second time? Representative Baer for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Speaker. Well, we've heard a lot of things. You know, we've heard a lot of things about how a request was not made from the department on this based on the executive's guidance that we should keep our budget the way it was. And I do recall many of you weren't here uh, a couple of years ago. We were deficit spending, and, and the good chairman of appropriations said that we were in deficit spending right up to April of this year. So here we are uh, adding this money to try to cover these, these potential expenses and get people off of the waiver which I think in, in general, I could support such an idea. But again, we also have the fiscal responsibility of keeping our budget under control. And if we were deficit spending in April, and now we have $1.7 billion surplus, and we've been spending, in a matter of hours, we went through $70 million on this. What is the possibility that we may be in trouble Next table. And so I just asked for you to think about your spending. Here's an opportunity uh, where a department did not ask for any money. We put some money there. Well, let's just save it for somewhere where we need it. Thank you. All those in favor of third reading amendment number 23 to House Bill 1 say aye. 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 All those opposed? No. Next amendment is third amendment number 27. Mr. Chairman, I go to third amendment number 27 to House Bill 1. Folks, this goes right back to our last conversation in the budget. We discovered a technical error after we printed the budget. We need to change. There's, there's two types of waivers for this population, the support waivers and the comprehensive waivers. As language, we, we just had comprehensive. It needs to include both. The, the, the support waiver is kind of the rudimentary waiver program. They go on the comprehensive is the more expensive. And so we want to make sure that they have access to the lesser expensive uh, as well. And that, uh, so that's what this does. Yes, that's the fourth way to I'd ask for your five votes. Right, right, right. Since we need to vote, all those in favor of third reading amendment number 27, the House Bill 1, signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? 
is it does reduce that amount slightly from the $3.1 uh, million down to $3 million. Just a nice, uh, nice even number. Uh, the, and, and keep in mind that the Department of Health only requested even less than we're giving them here, $2.7 million. So we're actually giving them still more than they requested for this service, this important vital service. The next area that we deal with is $4 million. We are adding a section to give $4 million for preschool services to be included in the Department of Health standard budget uh, for uh, the immediately succeeding fiscal biennium. So that's something above and beyond what, what uh, they have actually asked for. So totaling $2 million for dental, $6 million for nursing homes, $3 million for waiver programs, and $4 million for preschool uh, programs. That's a total of $15 million. What I would like to do is offset that $15 million so that we're not increasing budgets anywhere, we're moving money. And where I would like to move that money from is um, in your amendment, it's, it's the section, page 73, line 12 of your, of your house bill, which deals with our So the Wyoming Business Council in the last biennial budget was given $24 million and some change for these, uh, these business ready community projects. So uh, I'm uncertain how much they spent, but in the last biennium they said we would like this much money. The body gave them that much money. And uh, they have made an additional request to that particular portion of their budget for an extra $60 million. So that $60 million was actually reduced down uh, under our chief executive, or actually I think the chief executive did, did, um, did recommend the $60 million, but the Joint Appropriations Committee uh, reduced that in half so that they it went from a $60 million request down to a $30 million request. I'm actually reducing that in half again and asking that the $15 million that we would have put into the Wyoming Business Council for these business ready community uh, projects, and keep in mind that they, they already have a lot of money. They were given $24 million for these already. So I'm taking $15 million out of what we're going to be giving them we're still going to give them 15, but I'm taking that 15, I'm putting it into the Department of Health to fund these other vital, important services. So the question is, with this amendment, do we take care of those in, in, in incredible need here in Wyoming, or do we reach out to try to lure businesses to come to Wyoming? And I would uh, say that we will lure more business to Wyoming by taking care of our people and by reducing regulation and keeping our tax burden low 
that was worth more businesses than anything that the that that we could probably fund with that fifteen million dollars going into the Wyoming Business Council. So that's what this amendment is doing. I would ask for your favorable consideration on this amendment. Thank you. Representative Larson for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We're making progress. I, I am so thrilled to hear the acknowledgement that we need to take care of this population. And just in the previous amendment, we wanted to gut it and get rid of it. And so on this amendment, that we now, <laughs> that we now want to fund, I think it's really important, but there's just one problem. The appropriation to fund all of these that we talk about is ongoing. So what are we going to do? <coughs> the money that he's using to put into it one night goes away. So we fund it. We have it. We, we, we've taken care of it. Now there's a problem if you go to the second page of that, particularly when you come down to number 19 on the DD preschools portion of that, because if you add to that, and then you stop it, which this would do at the end of the year, you have a maintenance of effort requirement that then you can get penalized on. So I think that there's some real negative ramifications for, for adopting this amendment and would encourage you to vote no. We have the funding in place to take care of these populations. We've got the funding in place for the business ready community grants and in we just heard an announcement yesterday on from the, uh, over the hill on a wonderful project coming as a result of that so i would encourage a no vote representative to for your first time Thank you, you know we we as a country complain all the time about federal overspend and corporate bailouts and here we have a chance to move money from business, business funds, to actually taking care of the people. So we don't look like the federal government with corporate bill-outs. I would suggest that yes, I want to Anybody else for the first time? Chairman Nichols. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So on and against the amendment, ladies and gentlemen. So $20 million just went for a new program. It's a, a brand new patents uh, business that's coming back to Wyoming uh, over on the other side of the mountain, 45 miles away. And that's all the process of our, um, our dollars and our Wyoming business community folks. And what, so what are they doing? Why are we putting money in that this program? We're doing it because we know that we have to change our reliance on the mineral industry. And so we use these dollars to follow that process to protect our kids and their kids um, for our next generations to survive and why we still be the best place in the world to live. And so on against Anybody else for the first time? Anybody for the second time before the response? Representative Pornock, your second time. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I urge that I vote on this. The question was asked about uh, the one-time appropriation. And I agree. But these, we do this every biennium. We are supposed to appropriate money for different services every biennium. So that's the purpose of doing this one time. Because if it's an important issue, we, we appropriate money next time. If it continues to be an important service, we will appropriate money the following time. So it will be an ongoing appropriation to everybody. If it's important, and I do believe that it is, but I do also ask that we would take care of uh, those in Wyoming who are in need of the service, and I would appreciate your eye vote on this. Thank you very much. All those in favor of third reading amendment number 24, House Bill 1, signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? No. no. Third reading amendment number 24 to House Bill 1 has failed. Division. Division having been called, all those in favor, please rise. Provide quality long-term care 
and keep people out of nursing homes. And so there's over thousands of case programs throughout the country at this point. Some are for-profit, some are non-profit. Um, and Wyoming, I think, is really missing out by not being back in this game. And I do think there's room for many of your communities to study what we can do in Wyoming to make this trip work. So I'm asking you to basically have the Labor Health Committee study this outside information, some inside information, send the interim, come back next year with a plan that we can present to the Appropriations Committee on the body and, and hope for kind of a long-term commitment if we are going to make this step uh, to keep people out of nursing homes as long as possible that we can all agree on. So, ask for your favorable support, happy to answer questions. Representative Parsons, for your first statement. Hey, this is a question for the bringer. So his deletion of his second reading amendment was 1.5 million, is that correct? And so we'll delete 1.5 million and in its place that's 20,000. I just want to, I just want to, okay, one point. I just want to, anyway, if you can answer that. Okay. Anybody else for the first time? Representative Davis, for your first time. So, Mr. Uh, Chairman, these funds are already available, as was previously said before, statewide. But nobody is doing it but one, one home. Is that correct? So now we're going to take another 20000 and study why the rest of the state does not want this property. Is that what you're suggesting? Anybody else for the first time? Representative Brown for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So to, the, to answer the question that was just asked, it's not so much a we want to study to find out why other people don't want to do it. It's to find out and get the actual hard fact numbers of what actually can be a cost savings. And so, I mean, I can bring out a, a whole litany of uh, cost measures that were originally incurred and, and how that actually offsets people going into nursing homes as opposed to staying in their homes and utilizing this program. You're welcome. <laughs> Still no microphones, but, um, uh, but what, what ultimately we're looking at doing is having the uh, committee hear from the interested parties as to whether or not this is a program that should be stood back up. The reason it was removed from uh, existence in the last biennium was strictly because we did not have the money. Uh, there was very little consideration of how this was going to impact the, the 160 people in this community, but there were other interested parties out there, but it's, it, it's the good term of labor companies just mentioned. Ultimately, what we're trying to get to is an understanding of if there is going to be supplied money from the state, there might be more people that would be interested in bringing this program to their communities and keeping them out of their So that's what the $20,000 is ultimately looking for. Um, and, and to reiterate what was already said, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. When we brought the original bill, uh, we were contacted by some of the chiefs over there, and they said, my goodness, this is great, but there's no way we can stand this program back up if we don't have a solidified group of funding. So uh, please don't put that out there thinking that we're going to be able to spend $1.5 million because we're not. Uh, what we would like to know is whether or not uh, this is going to be continued funding in the future. And if that's the case, then we would be interested in setting the program back up. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Anybody else for the first time? 
everybody for their second time before the sponsor. Chairman Swanson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And so, yes, Nancy, to get Chairman Revenue's question, by deleting the first part of lines one and two, and basically putting back one point, well, one point four, one million four hundred eighty thousand back into the general fund for either savings, spending, appropriation, whatever makes everybody else happy on the appropriations committee. Um, but I do want to emphasize, we thought about this program's been around for 30 years had great outcomes. We tried it in Wyoming. It was around for about three years once it got off the ground. And then with the budget crunch, we pulled the funding out from it. And it was really dramatic. And so the, we talked to our group that deals with retired people in Wyoming. They will tell you all about the benefits, the cost savings. The federal government continues to highlight this program as being amazing for outcomes. So it should be a win-win if one can find a way to back into entry, find what other states have done as kind of a cookie-cutter approach. They get it in one site, use that as a prototype. Now that we've gone through it once, we believe we have a pretty good understanding of how to make it work in Wyoming. We just want to make sure we have the numbers and the players in place to make sure everybody to go if we were to launch it again um, with long commitments and financial expectations. So without your support. Question. All those in favor of third reading amendment number 25 to House Bill 1 signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? Chief Clerk, please call the roll. It's on my sheet because you reduce the money.
subsection B, you mentioned targeted outreach efforts. So I know that we have 11 family planning clinics in the state of Wyoming. That mic is try this other mic on the other side, see if it's more consistent. Yours is kind of coming in and going out and can't hear. Thank you. Desirable traits. 
And so I'm curious if, um, if we're going to target certain minorities within this state um, and focus outreach efforts in certain um, places such as um, those areas where people of color live. And so I hope the bringer of the amendment can clarify that. Thank you. Anybody else for the second time before the bringer of the amendment? Representative Provenza for your second time.
Representative Warnock for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, it's, probably, it's probably the same question. I was just wondering if somebody's getting a roughly an $83,000 pay raise. Anybody else for the first time? Anybody for your second time? Representative Walters. Mr. Speaker, I know nobody's getting an $83,000 pay raise. The reason they uh, to it, there's a couple of reasons for it. Yes, it is a higher classified position within the agency, so there is a bump because it's a different type of a position that the individual doesn't necessarily get a raise, it just is because they're a higher classified position already. But it's also starting in April versus uh, the 1st of July, so it's it's spread out over uh, eight, well, let's see, uh, about 15 months, 16 months versus over 12 months. So that's why there's a difference in that increase. And uh, then it also includes in that amount the support service costs that go along with the position. So, uh, and to the other question, I think that pretty much answers all the questions. It, it is a, a just simply a higher classified position, and that's the reason for an increase in the Again, please ask, I do ask for your favorable consideration. All those in favor of third reading amendment number six to House Bill 1 signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? No. Third reading amendment number six to House Bill 1 is passed. Did adopt it. Third reading amendment number seven. Representative Ward. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I move third reading amendment seven to House Bill 1 and ask for your favorable consideration. This amendment essentially states that uh, none of the funds for the University of Wyoming can be expended for gender studies courses, gender studies academic programs, gender studies co-curricular programs, or gender studies extracurricular programs. For those who might not be aware, the university restricted the what's your, what's your point? Mr. Chairman, uh, I, I call for a rules committee. I don't think that this amendment is germane to the question uh, uh, we're trying to tell the university what curriculum they can do and how to fund it. I, I think it's outside the bounds of the legislation. Rules committee to the front.
after visiting with the Rules Committee, uh, the Rules Committee supported that it uh, was appropriate to bring this amendment forward, and I will support that. So, Representative Ward, please. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Again, I move for reading Amendment Number 7, House Bill 1, and ask for your favorable consideration. Again, this specifies that none of the funds for GW can be used for any gender studies courses, academic programs, gender studies co-curricular programs, or gender studies extracurricular programs. For those who might not be aware, the university restricted the First Amendment rights of a church elder because it spoke the truth about that doesn't have anything to do with this amendment. You're off topic. The University of Wyoming is a land-grant university, and programs like this were not the intention for the direction of the university when it was formed. UW needs to return to serious academic inquiry. Mr. Majority, would you uh, come take the chair? I want to right in the Moral Act, which was what defined the land-grant university, that the study of liberal arts was also appropriate. So when people talk about the Moral Act and land-grant universities, they're not reading all of what's all in that. Um, I think it's appropriate for a university to have the studies that they deem necessary, that they deem important. Ultimately, we'll in the end decide on budgets for the university. But right now we give a block grant. We want to pull out a certain piece of it, like the School of Energy Resources, where we have more control. We can do that. But I certainly do not support removing this program or any other program at this level. And I've had real heartburn at times with some things at the university. But this is not the appropriate way to do this. On and against this amendment. Any other discussion? Representative Rodriguez Williams, or Representative Chester, your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm against this amendment. Um, I share the concerns of the speaker that this is not the way to do this kind of thing. This is not the kind of thing we should be doing at all. Um, I have a number of concerns about this particular amendment. I will say, in the time, I will only highlight the most important reason why I oppose this amendment. Uh, the first one is that it's extremely overbroad. It doesn't seek to simply reduce or restrict the use of state funding. On its terms, it seeks to reduce or restrict the use of any funding, federal funding, other funding, tuition dollars, any kind of funding. It goes way beyond the use of, of mere state funds. It tries to dictate to the University of Trust of Wyoming trustees how they can spend any money. And that is extremely overbroad. Um, we need to remember that uh, this program is not forced on anybody. Uh, these courses are offered as optional courses. They're not, they are totally electives. Um, why should we be telling our adult students? And all the students at the university are adults. They can make their own choices about which courses they wish to take. Uh, why should we be telling our adult students 
you might, you may not learn about this topic. That is completely against any sort of, of freedom. You have freedom to learn, and they should be given the opportunities. Um, business is opposed to this. this we don't want Wyoming to be seen as a completely anti-LGBTQ state. This kind of uh, bill uh, marks the state as anti-LGBTQ. Businesses don't want that. They want that, that will limit their ability to attract workers and to attract good people to the state. Um, Most of the universities in this region have similar programs. Every university in this region has programs like this as optional courses. Uh, we become less competitive for students. Students uh, will, be, will not want to come to this university if they are perceived as anti-LGBTQ. It hurts our competitiveness for good students. Um, for all these reasons, among others, uh, I am strongly opposed to this amendment and urge no vote. Anybody else for their first time? Representative Representative Stead. Mr. Chairman, uh, on against this amendment, we are not afraid of ideas. Uh, we want our students to be critical thinkers. We want to treat them like adults. If we go down this path of saying, there's this certain sector of ideas that cannot be taught at the university, then what's next? I mean, we don't like the way they teach history, so we'll say you can't teach American history, you can't teach indigenous people's history, or you can't teach ancient history. Uh, I think this is a path we don't want to go down. Uh, good ideas win in the, in the marketplace of ideas. So let's not be afraid of it. On against. Representative Locke for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm honored for the amendment, and the issue is we're actually we are spending the people's money, and so speaking for a large, uh, probably the bulk of the uh, constituents, I'd say they would prefer their money won't necessarily spent on this, but uh, honor for the amendment. Representative Rodriguez Williams for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Honor for the amendment. Looking at the, the Merrill Act of 1862, one of the lines that stands out to me is it states, in such manner as the legislatures of the states may respectfully prescribe. We have the power of the purse within this body. And so if we choose to defund this particular academic study, we can do that on and in support. I'm in support of this amendment. Um, for the past couple years, we found out what essential employee is. And I failed to understand where this study falls into a essential employee. We're passing off a lot of education to our community colleges to now create essential employees. We have a university that can further educate them to a higher level as far as essential employees. I don't believe this curriculum falls under that status. And I'm for this one. 
Representative Craver for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I got too many books, so I apologize. Um, so, if we open our little uh, blue constitutions, um, Section 17 regards the establishment and the government of the university. And the, the last line of Section 17 says, we, we the people of Wyoming, have delegated the duties and the powers of the trustees, and we can prescribe those by law. So that's paraphrasing, but that's essentially what it says. And so then if we go to um, section 21.17.204 in our green books, it says in there, the board of trustees shall prescribe the studies to be pursued and the textbooks to be used and determine the qualifications of applicants for admission to the various courses of study. So when we set up the university, that was the that was how we set up our uh, decision-making process. We can change that. Um, this body could determine to set up the classes. We could set up the curriculum for all of the different colleges over there. But that's not what we did. When we created the university, we said we will prescribe by law. We then did prescribe by law how that's done. And we have appointed people to do that for us. And I think we, we get into a slippery slope. Do I agree with this? particular line of study at the university? No, I don't. Um, but that sort of is irrelevant. What's relevant is do we want to go down this line of thinking where every time something comes up that we don't necessarily agree with for some of our some of our constituents, because it's not all, some of our constituents don't agree with. Do we want do we want to make political choices about education every time that comes up? And I would submit to you do not. I don't like this particular line of study. I don't support it, but I don't think, but I also don't support us stamping it out and making political choices about kids' education. As one of the former speakers said, we're not afraid of ideas, nor should we be. We want our kids to think. We want them to learn there's other things out there. Again, I don't support it, but I also don't support the suppression of ideas. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Representative Baer, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, earlier it was stated that these are not required courses, they're elective. Uh, but I would remind the body that uh, during orientation, there's a week-long uh, course of study, if you will, that all new students must go through. And this particular department leads that effort. And there's a great deal of, well, I would say that it's instruction and ideas given that are contrary to what Article 7, Section 20 says, that this body is supposed to be promoting. So I would suggest that there are, that there's an expansion, if you will, of what this department really is supposed to review. So to bring it back in by saying we're not going to support this type of study, I think is appropriate, especially when I look at Article 7, uh, you know, in the Section 1, it says that the university with such technical and professional departments as the public good may require and the means that the state allow, and such other instructions as may be necessary. So I would just point out that I don't think this study is necessary. And I would urge an I vote for the amendment. Representative Allmont, for your first time. Mr. Chairman, first of all, this isn't history. 
And second of all, the people of Wyoming do not want these in our university. Thank you. Representative Swanser, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm pretty sure I just heard from the former, former speaker that teaching <coughs> studies in university violates the morality clause of our Constitution. Wyoming, the equality state, you're saying that teaching women and gender studies, because it's a women's studies and gender studies program at UW, we need you to take a class over there. In the equality state, we are anti-woman. Really? So many of you know I do admissions interviews for you know arguably one of our top 50 universities in the country. Two applicants this year, both young women in Wyoming, right above 30 in the ACT. They don't want to stay in Wyoming. They want to go to Mile or Modern. You know what they want to major in? Women and gender studies. Because they want to go work around the world and help women in disadvantaged countries you know, become empowered and become equal. So I know we mentioned that gender studies you know, must be voted LGBTQ. But if you look at most of the curriculum courses over there, it's women and gender studies. And these courses, I just, I, it's very rare in this body in 20 years I have felt the, to say that women's studies courses are against the morality clause in our Constitution, I think goes too far for us to say in this body. I'll leave it at that. Representative James, for your first time. Mr. Chairman, honored for this amendment. I wonder what this debate would be if we were debating about biblical history, not theology, just biblical history. I wonder where this would go at that point. We've seen our culture come and go with how they, they view things, and uh, this is a statement. It's not saying that they can't have their capability, their, their opportunities to go learn. They're just saying we're not going to take taxpayer dollars and fund that. And we are the people's representatives. We should be having this debate. We should be deciding where do we want to spend money. Listen, it was land grant college. Lots of people across the state feel like that it has moved into something else. Can we get into micromanaging? Pretty easily. But that I would subject you to the thought that perhaps there are times where things go too far one way. And then it becomes our obligation to stand up and say, this is far enough. I understand the job of trustees, but what if the trustees haven't fully vetted that or fully looked at that, what it should or shouldn't be teaching, or what is the best thing for Wyoming? I look at Wyoming, and I think High Plains Desert, agriculture. It's the lifeblood of this. I mean, tourism is great. Energy is wonderful, but there is a principle here that at stake that we uh, we sometimes need to just give a nudge and say, you know what, enough is enough. It's not stopping anyone from going out and taking a class that's put on somewhere, but it is saying that hey, we would prefer you not spend taxpayer dollars on this on and forth. Representative Davis, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I would 
would like to point out Article 7, Section 20, duty of our legislator to protect and promote the health and morality of the people. As the health and morality of the people are essential to the well-being and to the peace and permanence of the state. It shall be the duty of the legislature to protect and promote these vital interests by such measures of encouragement, of temperance, and virtue, and such restrictions upon vice and immorality of every sort as deemed and necessary to the public welfare. Representative Brown, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, so I just went to the university's website and I just started going through and trying to find out how many different programs are out here. And my gosh, you can just sit through here and just start going through the amount of studies, areas of studies um, that, are, that are out there. At one point I heard that if this was biblical studies or something along those lines, we would be having a different conversation I've yet to see anybody bring an amendment that says we're going to strip university funding for a biblical studies program that is active at the University of Wyoming at this point. I've never seen such an audacious approach. How about African American and diaspora studies? <coughs> if we were going to go ahead and remove that, at one point in time, Representative Brown. Let's keep the discussion on this specific amendment. Thank you. Gender studies, certainly. So I've heard that this is immoral. I've heard it twice now that gender studies is immoral. At one point in time, those with a different color to our skin were deemed immoral as well. And we probably had similar conversations on this floor about things that were seen and deemed immoral. I am appalled that in the state where this, this state was the first to grant suffrage to women, in this building, we are now debating saying that they are not equal. And that we should not be studying this. We should not have this study. Is that really what the message we want to send to the rest of America is? These are not gender programs, these are gender and women's studies, and we may as well have just amended this to make sure that that's what it actually said. I don't agree with the studies. I certainly didn't major in this over there. I know a few people that did. They have a hard time finding a major, or finding a job after this. That's their choice. They're paying tuition. We are offering them the opportunity to further their education. This is Article One, Section or Article Seven, Section Twenty. I, I'm I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I am just blown away that that's been brought up twice. That this is deemed immoral. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Representative Strong, for your first time. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. So. Um, I just have a point here. The body should not be funding a university program that does not result in good outcomes for its students. The top paying college degrees in 2020 were civil, civil engineering, 
and pharmacology, that you've got biotechnology, physics, computer science, aerospace engineering, finances, and petroleum engineering. And the education one receives in the College of Culture, Gender, and Social Justice does not result in these kind of post-graduation success. We have popular music and sexualities, ecofeminism, queer performance and activism. Looking at the course offerings in this program, can anyone in this body explain to me what value these classes have in an institution of higher education? And another class, Cultures of Nature. So I'm just wondering, what does that have to do with education? And that's what the college point the university wanted. Relationship of other engineering degrees, whether for whatever, is irrelevant, more important, and it was not germane to this conversation, more important this and that. Let's see all that stuff out and get to the point. Representative Strocker, you your remarks. I would just suggest some of you look into some of those others and to find out what it is. Representative Strocker, let's keep it germane to the amendment, please. So I think one thing that we need to understand here, this is not disparaging. Our goal is not to disparage at all against women. I had a young gal from my community that uh, was a part of her studies, and she had a, a short stint in here, and I asked her, so just can you give me a run on that? She says it's really incredibly sad what it's producing. And she's a very strong, very independent woman. And, she, and I said, you know, is it, that, did, it, I mean, did it all feel like that's what it was doing? And she said, no, it was quite contrary. So this is, you have to understand the content of this, of this program that we're talking about. The, the name of it, or the title of it, would make you sit there and say, oh my goodness, this is, we're the equality state where this is going against women. Well, that's, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Uh, and, and we also, I understand, we don't want to throw a baby out of the bathwater, but you have to understand what's in that bathwater as well. And, and what we're creating out of these programs uh, is, is an activistic type mentality that's, that's very dangerous. And so, um, you know, I think it's interesting we've gotten, uh, this has gotten very Representative Harrelson, now you're interjecting intent into, into that discussion. I'm sorry, but we're going to keep this tight now. We're going to let emotions get away, and we're not going to be able to handle it. So you need to be on point on the amendment and keep intent out. Please. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Okay, we'll definitely keep that in mind as we move forward. I appreciate it. So uh, on and against the or on and for the amendments and uh, against this funding structure. Representative Western, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I rise up against this amendment. Look. I fully appreciate. I have some serious concerns with the content material of these courses. Uh, and it absolutely is within our purview how these public funds are spent. But if you look at the amendment right there, big six, federal funds or other funds. So this is saying, let's say if someone wants to donate a bunch of money to the university to study this, they couldn't even spend it on these this, uh, curriculum even if they wanted to. I think that's, that's a very clear distinction. Yeah. We have the right to tell universities how to spend the money if we are the ones appropriating it, but if it's private dollars, that's on them. So, on it against. 
Representative Heiner for your first time. Speaker, thank you. We live in a state that unfortunately only has one option for a university, uh, the, the university we're talking about. Other states have multiple options, but because we only have one option, we, we are all in very much support of our university. I think that's not in question, but they cannot offer all the different curricula that, are, that is out there. It's just impossible for one university to have everything. I, it, and so they, they must focus on those uh, experiences, those educational experiences, that will be of most benefit to the populace here in Wyoming. Gender studies is offered online. It's, we're not going to make it so they cannot get a degree in, in gender studies if that's what these individuals want to do. A whole degree is offered online by multiple different universities. We need to focus our university here in Wyoming, our only university, on those types of educational experiences that will be of the best benefit for our, our youth so that they can get a, a meaningful job here in Wyoming, we hope, that they might stay because one of our biggest exports are our children. And so we need to, to try and keep from keep our university from trying to meet all expectations from every avenue of the populace because we just it's just impossible to do that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Anybody else for their first time? Anybody for their second time before the sponsor? Representative Swanser for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just a quick reminder, the reason we have these courses is because people take them, right? If there were people signing up for these classes and wanting to enroll and wanting to, you know, I'll say gain this knowledge and understanding, I know I might get some pushback on that comment, they wouldn't be offered if nobody was enrolling. And so certainly in a free market, right, if people want to dedicate their intellectual or their higher uh, education, that in many ways they're paying for, sometimes you know, the other half is paying for, that they're investing in our programs and our curriculum to take these courses to further their understanding and their knowledge and their intelligence about the world around them and societal changes. And so yes, maybe that's dangerous or that creates activists. I would say we want people to be passionate about change in the world. And that's why we have doctors. <coughs> want to be passionate about medicine, right? economists. Want to be passionate about economics. Right? People take these programs so they can learn to go make a difference in the world in the way they see fit. Whether they'll stay wide, I'm not sure or not. You know, we had 35 high school juniors and seniors with us today. Um, and you ask how many of them want to stay in the state because they're, they're all a little, they think a little differently than maybe the majority of the state. They're not clamoring to stay here. They don't think they really what they saw here today when I talked to them much. And some of the folks are here. So I understand maybe it's a minority population of the state for people coming here who want to take these courses. They want to take these courses. And what they're learning, if you think it's productive or not, they can get it as they're sticking with these programs. And those people quit sticking with the program, the free market will close them on its own, not, not the government. That's not our role. Representative Trujillo for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, still for this amendment. We are looking at college 
funding bailouts, right? Because that was coming from the other side of the country. And where is this money being spent? Somebody called point order. First thing. Okay. All right. Sorry. Right. Okay. 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 Please go ahead. Is there a point order to what I was just saying? Nope. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're looking at college bailouts. And it seems to me that some of our universities are having classes that aren't warranting jobs in the communities throughout America. And that's one thing we need to look at because then again, that's going to come out of our pockets as taxpayers. Another thing is these classes, I, I find that ironic that we keep saying that we're holding back women, but these gender studies classics, classes claim that anybody could be a woman. And that leads to mental health, mental, I don't even know, unstability. So on and for this amendment. Representative Bear for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just wanted to address the comments from my good colleague from House District Number Eight. Uh, he mentioned that this was a demand thing, where we have demand for these classes. That's the reason it's there. I, I tried to run this amendment last year, and my research showed me that there were four persons in the program. Two had graduated in the previous two years, and I believe the staff was more than that. It was either four or six professors in the program. And again, I just want to point out that it's gone beyond just what the, the particular studies is offering in classes. Now we're involved in our orientation. And that was where I brought up my first opportunity to speak to the body on this issue, uh, where I was concerned about the morality clause. And I, I just encourage each of you to go and research what happened during this year's orientation and what this particular department brought to that orientation for a week-long effort. And I really think you'd be disturbed by it. So I don't know what's happening in the, the classroom and the departments. That's not what I'm imputing. I'm talking about the orientation. And so if it's a demand thing, and we're funding to the tune of $450 million by any this particular department, this, this school. So we are, we are using the taxpayers' dollars to support this, whether it's a particular individual's opportunity to get into this line of study or something else. Uh, we are funding it. And, and I'm here to say that the demand is not what we might think it is with, with so few people. Thank you. On and for the Representative Strzok for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I think I, the biggest thing is it is the taxpayers' money. And if we could maybe amend it at some time, and if it could be a donation, maybe it's something we really need to look at because there are many taxpayers that are very upset about this. So thank you. I am on the amendment. Representative Chestnut, for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I just want to correct something that was said at this podium a moment ago, uh, but really during the debate. Uh, during the break, I was able to confirm with um, the university administration that the gender studies program does not run for orientation. That is a false statement. Uh, the other point I want to make is that you can't really measure the value of a program by the number of majors that people graduate from. There's a lot of people who take these courses, um, not as a major, but for interest. 
Um, they have, uh, they are elective courses that are available, and they are in fact popular courses, um, but not necessarily by people who are majoring in this area. Thank you. Representative Crigo for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So I'm going to use my second time to refer back to the Constitution again. And if you look in your Constitution, Article 7, Section 11, it's entitled Textbooks, which is kind of a strange thing to have in the Constitution, right? And it says, neither the legislature, that's us, nor the superintendent of public instruction shall have the power to prescribe textbooks to be used in the public schools, right? Public schools includes the university if you refer back to section one, article seven. So just on the page before that. Why did our founding fathers put that provision? Our forefathers, people that wrote this, why did they put that in the Constitution? Why? Question. I submit to you it's because they believe education should not submit to the will of the political mass. That there are people we put in charge of education to make these very important decisions regarding the curriculum, regarding textbooks. In the journal, in the journal of our constitutional convention, our very first Supreme Court justice said, in defending this provision in the Constitution, making sure it got put in our Constitution. And here's what he said. There is no more corruption than that which is caused by the prescribing of textbooks is left to the legislature. What in the world are we standing here today doing? We're arguing what they intended to prevent by putting it in this Constitution. And with that, uh, Mr. Speaker, I'd ask for a no vote on the amendment and an aye for the Constitution. Representative Brown, for your second time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I'd like to go back to the Constitution as well. And, and basically, I, I think this amendment sits over my desk. As I look at this, I feel like we do bridge just a little bit of unconstitutionality. Article 7, Section 17 says, the legislature shall provide by law for the management of the university. The duties and the powers of the trustees shall be prescribed by law. That's us. We don't manage. We have appointed in the Green Books the management of the university to trustees. I've heard it more than once that you can't have everything. One thing that was, I, I, I had to think back and it was like either my first or my second year in the legislature that we can't have this program, you can't have all these programs. It was the second or third year of my legislative career that I remember the president of that university came back and eliminated some 50 programs of study because they weren't being utilized. This particular program was actually reabsorbed and reutilized in a completely different fashion. They eliminated portions of this program that were not being utilized. So to, to the idea that we have delegated the power and the authority to a board of trustees to manage the university and then for us to come in in a budget bill and restrict the use of funds based off of the management of the university is a step too far, in my opinion, Mr. Speaker. Thank you. Representative Rachel Rodriguez-Williams. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Body Wyoming taxpayers do not have to submit to the woke agenda. The people through their elected representatives, such as me and you, can push back on and forth. Representative Allman, let's keep our conversation tight here, please. Mr. Speaker, I'm on for the amendment, and uh, I have the university combining textbooks in one, but I don't think uh, they need these classes. Uh, and if I go home and let people know that I voted for this, I won't be coming back. Thank you. Representative Jennings for your second time. We've heard a lot of talk about the Constitution. Whether or not we do these things, I would remind the body of one thing. We have the power of the purse that that Constitution gave us also. On and for the amendment. Anybody else for the second time before the prayer of the amendment? Representative Board, clean it up, please. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I've heard a lot of mentioning of the free exchange of ideas versus the suppression of ideas. Since that was not ruled out of order, I'd like to just say a word about that. These programs and the people in charge of them restrict ideas over other ideas. If we're going to talk about the free expression of ideas, we need to have all ideas allowed to be expressed. The majority of taxpayers who fund the university do not support their tax dollars supporting programs like this, and I call for the question. All those in favor of third reading amendment number seven to House Bill 1 signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? No. Third reading amendment number seven to House Bill 1 has failed. Third reading amendment number eight, Representative Larson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'd like to withdraw a third reading in number eight. Go on. The next amendment is third reading amendment number 28, Representative Harshman.
We've been close to having medical school in 1978. I had 38 votes on this floor. But that was during the uh, two-thirds was just enacted in the Constitution a couple of years before. Um, but current, this, this amendment really, uh, all we're trying to do is set up the training physician assistance. That's it. Now, why now at the university? Well, we, our medical school that we belong to is called Whammy. Everybody's heard of that? It's got two W's, Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. All of us don't have medical schools, so we joined the University of Washington. So we send 20 kids there, my own kids. They used to do their training all in Seattle, but now we do the first two years. About eight years ago, that all changed. So we built facilities, we have a cadaver lab, have all these labs for medical education. We have the instructors. And, uh, so it's been, it's been successful. We have 20 slots in Miami. Um, so I've spoken to several trustees. Perhaps you've heard from them uh, about this. It helped you with the language on this amendment. I've spoken, you've worked with the Dean of Health Sciences. And of course, I've talked with many of our largest uh, providers in this state. And uh, so currently, with the physician system, we take our Wyoming tax dollars and send you out of state. And you uh, might pay half your tuition or partial, and uh, then you have to come back to the state to repay that. And uh, so we're building other states' medical infrastructure. And this is something here, really a master's degree type, uh, that will be really important for our rural health care. And uh, my provider is a physician system, maybe several years is as well. And then I guess the last thing is Speaker and members, um, not only is our demographics, it's tough in Wyoming, and, uh, but if you look at the demographics of our healthcare providers, we have some of the oldest healthcare providers in America. And uh, so this is an attempt now, and it'll take years. This is a one-time appropriation. It'll take five, six years to go through the accreditation process. And all the studies that I've read and, and have been shared with me by the University of where these are established, it takes about eight years to hit the break-even point. And that's where this money will carry them through to that point. It's not all, that's not a one-year thing, but it's a setup to get moving and go through accreditation. And um, I think back, you know, you think of 1978, and what that vote would have been different? I don't know. You know, South Dakota, North Dakota, all those have uh, uh, theirs. But uh, anyway, so I think it's a thing looking out for where we're going to be in 2078. And uh, so appreciate your consideration. And I hope we can get going down this road and take this very important step. And if you read the amendment, many of this can be done. Some of this can be done from our community college as well. I included that pandemic response so in case we can swap these with ARPA funds we can save general funds that's why that language is in there and uh, so I'd stand for any questions thank you Mr. Speaker. Chairman Washington for your first time. Thank you Mr. Speaker I'm honored for this amendment you know next to water maybe rural health care might be one of the more important topics we will deal with here 
And if you have some forethought and looking down the road long term, um, this ten million dollar investment is going to pay dividends in all likelihood for generations to come. And it's the right thing to do. We have these uh, surplus funds. We've already accepted. This isn't a question of shall we reject federal money. We've already accepted these ARPA money. So these these ARPA money uh, we have available right now to do good things for the people of Wyoming. And I think this is one of those opportunities to really take a long time, a long term look into the future and try to do something very worthwhile for the uh, people of this state and our rural health care. So please support the amendment. Representative Pendergraft for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On and against the amendment, and I have nothing against the program at all. I think that the ARPA funds are there. I just fear from what I've seen you. We just passed a budget a year ago. We got another one coming up next year. And I've been taught that the purpose of an interim budget was for emergencies. In the testimony we heard, this is five, six, eight years that it take to get this accomplished. Doesn't seem to be an urgent emergency, and I just feel like we are going against the spirit of this, and we're creating a monster where every single year we're going to consume a great deal of our time on budget issues that are not urgent. While we do this, we already saw a number of good bills die. I just, I would ask just on things that aren't urgent, let's just dash it. Let's come back during the regular budget sessions and put things right down. And in the meantime, let's get on with the people's business. So again, I urge you know. Representative Western, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman, I rise in support of this amendment. Uh, you talk about you know, creating a monster. Well, this is a monster that's going to create those kind of jobs that we really need in our communities. And the reality is this. Societies that attract financial capital survive and thrive. Societies that don't wither and die. It's that simple. I'm really worried that if we can't, if we can't find solutions that help solve the problem trajectory that we are, that we are on, I'm really worried that we're going to end up in a place and look back and say, man, I really wish we would have done things that would attract those type of people here. That intellectual capital is so important for us to prosper. Nothing is more important than our future. And nothing is more important than having people in our society who can take care of us. We all know the issues of rural access, healthcare, and all of our counties. This is one of those things that's going to help us. We know there's a shortage of MDs. One of the things that can help us with that, and help stem the flow and address the needs, are having PAs in our communities. These are folks that do have the power to pack. These are folks that can help us take care of our communities. Having a center where we can train these PAs is going to attract that intellectual capital. Because right now, we've all heard the stories. A kid at our high school you know, killed him, he got a 30 on his ACT, went somewhere else and got a job somewhere else. That intellectual capital is gone. And once they've expended that elsewhere, creating value mad elsewhere, only then do they come back to Wyoming. I want their best years here. 
we have to think about what is going to attract that intellectual capital that we so desperately need to have that future we all want. This is one of those options, and that's why I'm supporting it. So, on the floor. Thank you. Representative Heiner, for your first time. Mr. Speaker, thank you very much. I've got three questions for the good bringer of this bill, just for or this amendment, just for clarification. You mentioned that it's a $10 million appropriation, one-time appropriation, uh, to stand it up, which will take maybe eight years to do that. After that, once it's stood up and you have accreditation, will there be a cost afterwards to be able to sustain that, that college or whatever the, the facilities that they will need to train? Second question, eight years or so to get that. So second question is, could we expand WAMI right now and start training PAs today without having to go through this eight-year time period by just expanding what we already have in place with WAMI? Third question, in your bill, in your amendment, you mentioned ARPA dollars that may be, may be available. Did we use some of these ARPA dollars for WAMI, which already is in place to train medical providers for, for Wyoming. And I, I agree wholeheartedly, we need more medical providers. But how do we get there the quickest and most efficient way? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Representative Klauston for the first time. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So just some facts to share with some folks. Um, right now, the job market increase for physician assistants is 31% a year. Currently, there are 12,700 openings for physician assistants. So I ran this, this bill, this amendment, past seven different facilities in Wyoming today. Every one of them said, yes, we need physician assistance, and this would be a benefit. We're having trouble recruiting to Wyoming. And the theory being, if we can get students here, train them here, and we can keep them here once they learn. You know, a, a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner, much better economical uh, situation for our clinics, our hospitals, and our rural communities. So I am on in favor of this amendment. Thank you. Representative Penn for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My concern here is, um, you know, every time we identify a need in our society, we rush to fill that need with something that's taxpayer funded, then we interrupt the free market. We fill the void something that's taxpayer funded and, and the free market can't compete. And if we have a need, then, then let's let the free market take its course on and against you. Representative Oppen for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, just to add to this and to also possibly ask a question, um, one of the reasons that we have this huge need in this state is because of the requirements that we have um, in some of our hospitals because of mandates and because of the policies that are saying you need to have um, these inoculations or do this in order to work here. At our local school, you can not believe, but I know because I just talked to the um, community college in my town, um, just before I came here and I said surely is it still um, a requirement that people need to have this um, protocol done before they can stay in the school because lots of students left the two-year college 
that they were so happy with because of the mandates for their health care. They had to do things as medical students that they were against. And while there are many people that understand that and may believe in it, there are also health care students and professionals that do not. And we see the loss of those health care people in our school, in um, the hospitals, in doctor's offices. So my question for this is while we're looking to make this school and to do something, because I am very poor PAs and things, I think, I think it's wonderful. But are we going to be discriminatory as far as the people that can attend that and do that? Um, or how, how are we going to do that? I really think that we need to look at what we're doing. Oh, and the reason it's mandated is because they may have to go do their clinicals somewhere that mandates it. So it, it's a big mess. So to think that we're going to fill this void just like that, we've got to change a lot of other things first. Thank you. Thank you. Representative O'Hearn for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just like the last speaker, we all need PAs and we all appreciate them very much. This is a good program to make that happen. And on and for the amendment. Representative Locke for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I just, more than anything, this is just a little bit of a question I'm trying to understand, but I do know that our university has very sophisticated labs to support our pre-med programs, which I know is very highly sought after. Same thing for our nursing programs. I know for a fact people come from all over for that nursing program, so they do a great job. It would just seem to me that there should be an eligible way to integrate and expand, and I, I think, again, we're all in favor of expanding and uh, implementing a PA program, but I, I think we'd like to understand this better and do this maybe in a, in a better and a broader debate environment, maybe push it to the budget session. Um, so I'm on and against the amendment. Representative Hornock, for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In Wyoming, with our, uh, our pools of money, we do some very wise investing. And one of the things that we do is we take a five-year average rate of return before we allocate funds for various, various things. It's, it's based on a five-year average. It seems like we are spending right now based on a five-month average. And I just don't think that's a wise fiscal policy to start a gigantic, uh, possibly a, a large program that will need continual funding within our state based on a small percentage because we're currently flush with cash. I just don't think it's wise fiscal policy. I would urge a no vote. Thank you. Representative Lawley for your first time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, I'm on for the amendment. Uh, I'm a family member, a daughter-in-law who is a PA, and I've learned a lot over the last 10 years about the role of PAs and it's growing. Mid-levels are the answer to many of the problems we face right now, especially in rural areas. Uh, and so I believe Wyoming should step up. And we're, I want to address the issue about the free market. The free market does not produce degrees. They don't create education opportunities. We're talking about a, the University of Wyoming having the opportunity to stand up a program to train PAs, hopefully to encourage them to stay in Wyoming. So I, I just don't see that argument really relating to this amendment. And um, again, on and for the amendment. Representative Knapp for your first time. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On and against the amendment. <clears throat> How lucky is our university? I think this is the third program that we've given them that they never requested in budget. This is a supplemental budget for emergencies and to possibly fill budget items that we took too far of a cut last year. On behalf of my constituents and the people of Wyoming, <coughs> please stop. Please stop spending. Do this in a budget session if you want to, but this isn't the place for it. Thank you. Anybody else for their first time? Anybody for their second time before the sponsor? Representative Harshman, bring us home. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you, members, for the debate. I think I had a couple questions to get member back in the corner. Um, and when you look at the studies on this, and there's been some of these set up here over the last decades, and, uh, and there's going to be a cohort size. You know, and the tuition is not normal tuition like a college student. It's more expensive. And it's not a, an extensive, huge faculty for this. You know, you're going to have, you're basically a master's degree type, and then you're going to get into rotation. So all these studies show that after you go through this build-up period, and then when you get in, when you get through the accreditation, then the idea is to have it sustainable and self-sufficient. So you adjust the tuition on it. 30 core, 25 core uh, person. And that's what that word sustainable is in there. And then the question you had was about expanding whammy. Um, you know, I, the, one of the biggest budget cuts that really took a hit was the WICHI program. And uh, we cut that down to now, it's like four and a half million uh, biennium. Um, should have probably upped that too. I mean, really, to. Uh, we need all these human people training and coming back. Uh, Wham does have a PA school, absolutely, but I, I think uh, we just don't, it's a different mechanism to do that. You'd have to apply. We don't have like slots for that. Uh, and then finally, question about ARPA. Um, hopefully, we can swap and use these ARPA dollars, absolutely. And then so finally, Mr. and I think that was all the questions. And then, Mr. Speaker, uh, I'll just again kind of just before Christmas, I had a little car crash, and so when I went to my provider, uh, and I talked to him about this, and he's a he was a veteran, he's a PA, and he is like absolutely. He says there are so many veterans in the state that are medics for medics, and that was his path. He did over a dozen years, served the country, combat medic, came back, gets his master's degree in this, and he's got a good paying job taking care of people. So I appreciate the debate. This will be something that will really move our state forward. And, it, and, and like a lot of these things we do, you're going to see this take off after we're all gone, after we're all pictures on the wall. And uh, so appreciate you with your eye on the horizon on this and your eye vote. Thank you, Mr. All those in favor of third reading amendment number 28 to House Bill 1 signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? No. Chief Clerk, please call the roll.
Third reading amendment number 28 to House Bill 1 has been adopted. The next amendment for our consideration is third reading amendment 29, Chairman Zwanser. 